Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, the editorial director here at QSR Magazine, joined by my colleague and co-host, Ben Coley. So this week, we are we have a repeat brand, but not a repeat guest, which I think might be the first time that's happened for the most part. We've done a couple series, I guess, but to kind of spread them out. But it's an exciting one. Uh, we have Stacy Poole, the CMO of Noodles & Company. I think Ben and I can both agree that CMOs might be our favorite restaurant executive guests to have on here. No offense to anybody else on the development side. <laughs> it's just a matter of, I think CMOs, um, Stacy, you probably get your take on this, tend to be more interesting people in terms of how they communicate, which is probably why you're in marketing. And so fun to talk to in terms of podcasting. But Anyway, Stacy, um, I'll give you a chance to introduce yourself. Maybe talk a little bit about your career and how you ended up in Noodles, and and we'll go from there. It's really nice to uh, be on here with both of you, Danny and Ben. I find myself to be very interesting, that's for sure. Um, it's the only and a CMO would say something. Yeah, yeah. I, it's not actually my communication. It's just the fact that I'm a very interesting person. So <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I'm kidding you. Um, no, I, I have been at Noodles now for about two and a half years. Um, I started right before the pandemic, which has been a little bit crazy. And then, of course, there's been a lot more that's happened even throughout the pandemic. So it's been a, it's been my first go at an executive role and so it's kind of interesting to start, you know, be a, a chief officer of any sorts, you know, just as we're starting the, the pandemic and then going into some of the other, whether it's social unrest or just some of the infl inflationary pressures that we're feeling right now. So it's been super interesting. But I um, started my career actually in IT. So I started on the technology side, kind of moved all around. I just, you know, throughout my career, I always thought if there's an opportunity to try something different, I did, whether it was a lateral move or whether it was, you know, move um, um, upward movement. I've just always been super curious. And so um, it's been really nice being able to expose myself to a lot of different things. And I think having a technology background has been critical because so much of what marketing is now is based on putting new technologies into place and leveraging those capabilities. So having that background has been critical for me. Um, I've, I was at Vail Resorts right before this for 10 years. And so that's really kind of where I learned a ton about being a data-driven marketer. And that's really where it, you know, kind of solidified my um, career path on being a CMO. So I, I didn't really know what I was going to do 20 years ago, but I feel very lucky and love every day that I get to be a CMO, um, whether I'm interesting or not on a given day. So, well, yeah, I guess my question quickly, though, is, you know, what makes you interesting as a person? I think Ben and I are both curious. <laughs> Outside what makes of me uh, in, yeah, what makes any me secret talents? Oh yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, secret interesting. Talents. Secret that's, that's talents. What do interesting outside of uh, being a CMO at Noodles and Company? Well, you might find it interesting that I'm actually very introverted. CMOs often aren't um, extroverted, or I mean, excuse me, they aren't introverted. They're more extroverted. Um, I definitely recover on the weekends by locking myself in my house and taking naps so that I can re-energize for a given week. Um, I'm very particular and focused on that because I think as a CMO or any executive, you've got to manage your energy really well. Um, I live, I just recently moved out to the country 
Um, we have resident snakes that bother me very much within our property. So that's bull snakes, which is, so that makes it interesting on a day-to-day basis of whether or not I'm going to see a snake as I walk outside the door. Um, no, but I, I mean, I think that like, I, I, I love being in nature. I love being outside. The country gives me peace. Um, you know, just because I do need to recover on a given weekend. So yeah, I, I would say my lifestyle is maybe a little bit unexpected from a marketing person, just because I am a little bit more reserved, actually. Um, and that tends to surprise people quite often about me. You know, I can empathize with that, Stacy, because, you know, as a writer, people often are surprised by the fact that I'm not really a big book reader. Like, I don't like, you know, cracking open a book and reading. But and as a writer, you would think that, oh, he must be a voracious reader, you know, reading all these books on the shelves. Like, no, i never been really one of my um, favoritist hobbies ever. So, yeah. So yeah. I, I, well, I definitely understand that, that dual. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot, right? Like, I think as it, I am very in tune with what's happening around me when it comes to marketing. Um, I'm very active. Um, you know, Danny, I see your stuff on LinkedIn all the time, you know, just because of the fact that I, I, I want to stay connected. But when it comes to like re-energizing, that's critical for me so that I can lead and be, you know, connected to what's happening around me. And if I exert my energy in places where, you know, it, it doesn't behoove me, then it, it impacts my ability to be a great leader. So I'm, yeah, I'm very, definitely very focused on that. Yeah, we've, uh, we've really taken this approach lately with candidates that we interview to try to ask them like behavioral questions because I've kind of run into this problem lately where it's like, you just get these people and a few months pass and they just stop caring about what's happening. And so I'm trying to go more toward like, I need someone who cares and is curious versus maybe what I see on the resume. I'm sure yeah. you can relate in the restaurant world. Very Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, case. it is, it's so interesting leading right now. Um, and just how much has changed over the last two years. Um, but the behavioral side is really, really critical of just finding people that at least for me, have this passion and this ambition and desire to, you know, drive the brand. And that's what, that to me is what fuels me as a marketing executive is just, just this deep connection to the consumer and this deep connection to the brand and how you bring it to life. Well, what I was, what I was going to say too about that is one of the questions we started asking is what are you reading? So I guess oh, Ben yeah. wouldn't work here. No, I'm glad that, that was not asked of me during my interview. So that's, glad that yeah. Although I probably would have just made up something, so they wouldn't have known. I guess. I would they you asked have me made actually, up though. Like, where where would you have even started? Uh, yeah. See, this has been your answer, and yeah, that like, would, yeah. okay. <laughs> you probably would have got me. Um, there's this one book that I always use. Um, oh, it's called uh, Atonement. This book called Atonement. Mm. I just remember from high school, and usually whenever somebody asks me about books, I just think about that that book, and I just say that. And usually people just nod and give the exact reaction that Stacy gives. And it usually lets, gets me out of it. Yeah. yeah. I, I've actually read Atonement. Although I guess maybe you read it too, just when you were in like high, high school. school. Yes. Yeah. I haven't read Atonement. Is that bad to say? Maybe it, that, there's my vulnerability yeah. right there is admitting that. Atonement is like a classic. <laughs> it's just, you know, the movie came out. And yeah. I was, was really... going to say, Stacey, like in case you don't, you don't want to read, there is a movie too, which I'm, I'm more a fan of the movies. It's a really well-written book, but it's really also super sad. Yeah. But Ben, do you do you listen to podcasts or do you just kind of yeah? Because yeah. I'm yeah. I'm that way. I like to I love to listen to a lot of a you know just yeah. a wide variety of different podcasts. That's kind of my reading now. You know, is listening. 
Yeah, I like sports podcasts a lot. Yeah. I listen to those. Mm-hmm. I only listen to QSR Uncut. Of course you do, <laughs> and you should. Listen to it every day on my way to work and then repeat episodes over <laughs> and over again. He's a big fan of listening to himself talk, for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Actually, I don't listen to them for that exact reason. Maybe you're the same. Sometimes I'll listen yeah. to it really quickly just to see how it sounds, but I have yeah. never listened to one of our podcasts through. No, I'm the same way. I don't, I don't like my, listen to like Every time I do an interview, like I skip over the parts where I'm talking and I go to the person who... I'm interviewing because I don't like hearing myself talk, so I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, especially when you slow me down, I sound like a strange animal. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, maybe we'll actually talk about Noodles and Company here. Stacy. I know that would be, that would be good. Um, so I know that we, we had done kind of a little article back in May about a new platform that you had come out with. And, you know, interestingly and fittingly enough, it was really based on people. And, you know, I remember talking to, um, you know, Dave about turnover uh before turnover was the cool topic to talk about about four or five years ago so talk to us a little bit about this platform i think the you know if i'm not mistaken it was uncommon goodness Mm -hmm. you know and that's that's a good way to phrase things here of course but i want to talk a little bit about that you know what was um really driving it how it's going how people are reacting to it and of course you know why employees are centered to it i think is Mm -hmm. such a key element of it Yeah. You know, it's crazy. We started the conversation right when I joined Noodles about what our brand position was, you know, just to be a little bit clearer on who who we are, what we stand for, why we're different. And of course, you know, then the pandemic hit, we put a lot of it on hold. And it was actually really good that there was this distance between my arrival and me being able to sit with the brand a little bit more, because I think where we ended up in terms of the new brand position of uncommon goodness is exactly in line with where we needed to end up, which was this brand is extremely unique. Um, And I say that, I know every brand um, says that and every CMO is going to say that. Why I say it is unique is that, you know, there isn't any other concept in the fast casual industry that sells bowls of noodles exclusively, right? And then you sell bowls of noodles that have a variety of flavors from around the world. So there is definitely uniqueness to that. Um, And then you layer in the healthy lineup of some of our noodles options. That's quite unique too. Everybody has healthy options, but you know, when you think about the zoodles offering that we have and the linguine offering, that is very unique as well. So from a culinary perspective, we have this one of a kind offering in the fast casual space that makes us uncommon, right? That's where uncommon comes from. But the other part of it, I would say, is the goodness side, which is our whole core values, our our value system is based on really love and care for our people first and foremost, and then obviously for the guests that come in our door. And so, you know, being a publicly traded company, of course, we're we're motivated by driving results, and that's our, our job to do that. But we do that through love and care. And so, I think that this this positioning of uncommon goodness brings this very unexpected experience, both from a food perspective and service perspective, and pairing that with the deliciousness of our food and also the people that serve you. Um, You know, people are just, we just hire people that are truly good to the core. And so uncommon goodness has been, first and foremost, very well received by our internal employees 
it's interesting, you know, you can only grow a brand and, and, you know, build awareness around this brand position if your internal staff is bought in. And because it was based on our internal employees, we have huge buy-in. Okay, so Stacey, one of the, the biggest parts of the uh, Uncommon Goodness platform was the, uh, the launch of the, uh, the new proprietary noodle linguine. So I just wanted, you know, to get more, you know, about that launch, you know, how's it gone for you guys, and, you know, you know, what's your kind of expectations for, you know, are kind of going forward. And Ben, have you tried the linguine or have, has your girlfriend tried it? I, I have not tried it personally. And if uh, my girlfriend has tried it, she hasn't told me yet, but uh, I'll be sure to ask her. So. You have to try it. Um, so the linguine is our, our newest pasta and just view it as like a better for you pasta. Um, if you think about linguine, L-A-N-guine, is it, you know, the traditional long pasta. Well, it's exactly like that. The benefit of it is that it has fewer net carbs, it has fewer total carbs, and then it has higher protein. Um, and so, and where that comes out to is really around 56% fewer net carbs, 44% higher protein. So it's definitely a better for you option. But the, the, beauty, I think, of that noodle is that we created all of that in-house. We created that noodle in-house. Um, and what you're able to do is if you have, you know, if you do want that um, higher protein or lower net carb benefit is that you can swap it out with any of our sauces. So if you're a pen, you norm, normally a penne rosa lover, well, then try the rosa with the linguine. It is amazing how well it goes with any one of our sauces. Um, and so it's, it's, it's been a great noodle for us. And I, what I would say is that what we're seeing with the results around the linguine is that we're seeing people who try it repeat and come back again, but they actually buy that noodle again. And so rather than trying all these different things on the menu, what we're finding is that that noodle seems to be is starting to be a favorite for people, which is very very cool to see. You know, one one thing for me in the um, the uncommon goodness positioning, I thought was a really cool perk, and I was actually pretty surprised I hadn't seen or heard of this more was the immigration reimbursement. Yeah, because I think so much of the restaurant industry is really opening that door to people, you know, and allowing them to either start their career or you know, look at something different or, or just begin kind of a path up a ladder that you really can't find in a lot of other places. That's what's made this industry what it is forever, right? So, you know, talk about that. You know, I know it's been a few months now. I mean, has it been something that people were really asking for? Is it been helpful, you know, in terms of employees who are already there, in terms of getting employees' perspective, you know, to come on board and, and just things yeah. of that nature of what really led to you know, thinking through that benefit. Yeah. Um, you know, like I mentioned, uncommon goodness definitely starts with our people. And one of the things that is really, really important to us and that I think our um, senior vice president of HR and our people has done is invest in our um, IND efforts. And one of the things that came about during all of our focus groups around how we can be more inclusive, how we can, you know, improve the equal treatment of employees, how we can bring more people of color into our organization is by having this immigration reimbursement. So what, what we do is that we're able to reimburse team members up to $500 every two years to aid them 
in their immigration or work status journey to help them with that. And I think that that's been really important to us. It's been well-received for sure. It may not be that every single person is using it, but in terms of recognizing that we are committed to improving the diversity of our workforce, I think this is just one way in which we're showing that. Um, I think a lot of times organizations have said they're committed, but they don't have the action behind it. And this action is just proving um, to be a very important part of our recruitment process. So bouncing, you know, around a little bit here, Stacy. you know, I also empathize with you for the fact that, you know, I also started this job, you know, right before the pandemic hit in uh, January 2020. And, you know, prior to this, I had never done, you know, I know restaurant, you know, trade publication writing. So I know for me personally, it was a bit of, you know, um, kind of fire hose to the mouth, kind of like introduction, you know, with, you know, things going kind of haywire in March. So, you know, for you, you know, coming from, you know, where you were at into, you know, restaurants and kind of tell me, you know, how that transition period was for you, you know, kind of starting before the pandemic and then, you know, getting jumped, jumping right into it at that point, you know, you know, how that, how was that experience, you know, for you and, you know, how did you feel like you kind of adjusted, you know, as you, in the kind of following months. Yeah, Ben Ben had no idea what he signed up for. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to say it. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I, I love a good challenge. And so the initial, like the onset of the pandemic to me was really invigorating. I know that sounds really weird, but like mm-hmm. seeing the team come together and how quickly we had to come together to kind of, uh, maneuver and and pivot constantly was like really energizing for me, honestly. I will tell you the hardest part really was probably more during the what they what they coined as the great resignation. Yeah. Um, and actually post the great resignation, I've always prided myself on being a really great leader. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I just mean like I invest a ton in it. I read, I listen, I try different things. I'm very invested in my team and I care deeply about them. But that really tested me, I would say, as a leader is because you start to see your team turn over and you're like, what am I doing wrong? Right? Like, how am I not able to keep my team? How am I not able to engage them? And you continue to see that. And and it's, it's really at the core of it is just because I think employees' expectations are so different now after going through this for two years, and your leadership has to evolve with it too. So I would say, Ben, that the biggest probably challenge for me has been more on the team and cultural side of how dramatically different it is now than it was three years ago on your employees' expectations of you as a leader and your their employees' expectations of the culture that they choose to be in now. So that's been that's been hard for me it's not that I'm not willing to adjust, but I just had to try a lot of different things that maybe were in my toolbox before. You know, I, I think uh, that was pretty similar for us, really, if you think about it. I mean, I was relatively energized by it as well. And Ben, I guess, doesn't have a case point because <laughs> he had only been there like a month or something. But in terms of, you know, I feel like the way that we had to work there for about a year was probably harder and more engaged than we had ever before. Mm-hmm. You know, we I think we understood pretty early on, or at least I did, the gravity of what we were doing and what role we were going to try to play in it in terms of, like, you know, I know that in the grand scheme of things, we were a media company, but we knew that these restaurants needed this information really quickly and they needed a lot of it. 
and that's what we tried to do and it sort of gave us a little bit of a purpose that i think was was different um mm-hmm. i don't know yeah. how, what other word to use for it but yeah. it was something i hadn't seen before in the time years mm-hmm. i've been doing this yeah yeah and, you know i think also part of that you know what where that strength kind of comes from i think it also you know it comes from in, internally but i also think it comes from you know who you're, you know, surrounded by, you know, your, your coworkers and the leadership, you know, that, that gives direction, you know, if all of that's like in a, like a very strong foundation, which, you know, I know, you know, our company was, I know Noodles, Noodles and Company was as well. That just kind of, kind of feeds into that strength and it kind of feeds into that energy. And then, then you can guys kind of like just continually kind of pass it down into, you know, what you do and what we, what we put out. So I think that a lot was a you know, really big part of it as well. Yeah, I think it's a similar vibe with like your employees, right? Because yeah. you're it gave you a chance to sort of uh, put, you know, proof in the pudding or whatever cliche I want to use to all the things that you had been saying for years about what you want to do. And now was the chance and they were really looking to the company to actually give them the things they needed. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting you say that because, you know, I had only been in the role for a couple months. I hadn't necessarily built relationships with everybody, like deep relationships with everybody. And then you're thrown at your, you know, home at home, you're going home now and you're trying to build virtually. Um, I would give to Ben, to your point, like I'd give a ton of credit to my team because they were all in, they believed they got on board. They followed my direction and me when maybe that trust wasn't built, they trusted fast. And I think that that is, um, that's, it's really credit to them because they didn't have to do that and they did. And so I def- definitely think the credit is more to them, um, and the commitment that they made to weathering it with me, um, versus me, you know? So I think it's definitely more about the team than it was me. And it didn't hurt that. I think if my math is, or my memory serves me correctly, you all were doing like 51% of the business outside the four walls, even before COVID. So we were, yeah. Yep. We skewed more hurt. to digital. Absolutely. And I think that that's, that goes to the credit of the organization of just, you know, thinking ahead of like, where is the world going and having that prepared and ready to go. And they didn't anticipate a pandemic, but geez, the fact that we already had an off-prem business, we had a really good digital presence. We had just replatformed digital. So the ability to go to market differently was available to us. And so, yeah, we were able to recover pretty darn quickly just because of the fact that the business and our leadership team had already gotten ahead of a lot of that. You know, with, you know, with COVID and, you know, people's, you know, attention, you know, going, you know, in so many different directions, you know, I guess, how would you say that, you know, your communication as a restaurant marketer kind of, kind of changed, you know, throughout the pandemic and, you know, what you were saying to, you know, customers to kind of cut through all the noise, you know, what, I guess, you know, and, and how are you, what you were offering to them? And I'm sure, you know, the loyalty program, you know, probably, you know, aided in that, you know, pretty well, but. This, you know, how, because, you know, with the COVID, you know, every, the loyalty of the customer, everybody's like, you know, focusing in on the loyalty of the customer, you know, wanting that, that customer, that frequency and that trial. So how, how did you, what did you kind of like base your communication around, you know, um, mm-hmm. as we kind of went through? Yeah, it, you, you know, I think initially it was so much around, oh my God, we just need to get traffic, <laughs> right? Because you're you're so far down. I think we had like, you know, 50% drop in sales initially, and then we had to climb back out of that. And that was not uncommon for the rest of the industry either. And so, so much of it was very transactionally focused messaging. And it was more honestly like, and this is kind of against 
what my belief is with marketing, but it was more mass marketing because you're just like, any, you would take anybody and anything at that point. But then what we did is we really started to get the signups growing in that, you know, rewards program. So being very, very focused of like getting people in the door, but quickly thereafter getting them to sign up. And it took us probably about two months to really start to accelerate that rewards program. Once we did that, it gave us a lot of really rich data to be more targeted. And so about probably four months po you know, into the pandemic, we started to shift and go away from you know, this mass push to being very targeted. And so we started to think about how can we segment our guests based on their behavior within our rewards program? And then how do we get really smart about the offers that we're putting out to them. Because in some cases, we have a more loyal audience that doesn't need those rich offers because they just love our food. Like they're very connected to the uncommonly good side of our brand. And then you have these newbies that maybe need a little bit more incentive to come in the door. And so, and from then on out, honestly, Ben, like we've been very focused on testing different things and being very targeted on who we're going after and the personalization around the offers and the content that we're putting in the messaging. So of course we still have this, um, this messaging strategy and, you know, we're going out to a new and maybe unfamiliar audience. We of course have that still in play, but really where our stability comes from is our ability to be very targeted and, and reach an audience that we know and that we can offer something special to based on what we know about them. The, the whole rewards uh, field right now is so interesting to me. We had a podcast a few weeks ago talking pretty much specifically about that. And there was one very small detail, which was whether or not you redeem your rewards or you know at the register or you're able to do it with the click of the button and... You know, someone posted that and it ended up having like 50 people arguing with me. And I was like, I didn't have an opinion, but the fact that this triggered this many people, whether or not you do one or the other and why, was really interesting to me about what the life of a restaurant marketer looks like now. Mm -hmm. I mean, just in the scope of this period of this pandemic window to now, what has changed. You know, I remember you know, mass marketing, to your point, getting away from that was really sort of the story of like 2019, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and now and now we're in a segmentation version of it, perhaps. But I guess just from your perspective, I mean, wh where do you think, you know, this conversation goes next? I mean, what's kind of the next frontier of engaging with the restaurant guests? Is it personalization? Do you cross the line and say, am I being too creepy with how much I know about them? What are they... Do they actually not care if I know who they are when they walk in the door, if they're a rewards member, all these kind of yeah. things. I mean, what's what's maybe, you know, the thing you think we might be talking about this time next year or so? Wow, that's there's so much to unpack there. And maybe we do a separate rewards podcast just because I have so much thoughts on that. <laughs> um, what I would say is that we've done a lot of research lately on rewards and expectations around rewards. Because, you know, I think to your point about in 2019 is when a lot of rewards programs actually came into play. Um, and it grew throughout the pandemic because people realized like, you know, you needed to be incentivized to come in and that you were really, it was very competitive on trying to get that guest in the door. Um, the points, what we're finding is the points-based rewards is challenging. It's challenging in that people don't understand necessarily, well, why am I getting a point for something? 
And then when I do get a point, how many do I need to actually redeem something? And no matter how much you communicate that, it's, it's hard to understand. But to your point, like, where do I see it from a year from now is I definitely see it where what we've heard is that people want to be treated differently and they want those unique experiences. They want the surprise and delight based on what you know about me. So I think there's probably some creepiness to it, but what we are being told pretty much across the board is like, treat me different because I'm part of your program, which means there is a personal component to this. And you have, and there's just, you may, you know, be careful about the threshold, but I think there's an expectation now that, you know, me, give me those unique experiences. I don't want to work for it. When we don't make people work for it, like when we automate things or we do surprise and delight, we're seeing way better response. So they don't want to work for it and they want to be treated differently. And I think that that's going to continue to be the focus for us as we go into 2023. Yeah. As a consumer, I really like two forms of loyalty, one being surprise and delight when it is something I actually want. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's really a big change from a few years ago. It's like you would delight me with something I had no intentions of redeeming. <laughs> right. Or I might redeem it just because I had it. But And the other is the sort of tiered structure, you know, made, I guess, famous by Starbucks on a certain level. But just this idea that I could become more and more of a VIP the more I engage with your brand. I think people appreciate that concept. Sort of like tribe herd mentality of like, I am a VIP user. <laughs> Right. And I think, you know, we, yeah, it's when we launch a new product, we do an exclusive tasting, um, you know, to be able to like Linguini only rewards members could try it for the first two weeks of it being in market. And that definitely drives engagement, definitely drives sign up. So we're going to continue to try different things like that to give our members something special um, that our, our non-members wouldn't get. You know, we need to give Ben like a chicken sandwich uh, exclusivity on something in this world. <laughs> um, to, to your point earlier, um, Danny, about um, them being able to identify you as a loyalty member, you know, driving up through the drive-thru or, or coming into a store. I, I do think that also, you know, it plays, to, plays into, you know, customer satisfaction. And, you know, we talk about, we've talked about, you know, in previous, you know, podcasts about, you know, long drive-thru lines, you know, how that can frustrate you know, customers, but, you know, there is something like something to be said about, you know, psychological when, you know, an employee and the way they talk to you or what they're able to say to you, or, you know, if they're able to greet you, you know, on that personal level, I do, it does, I think that, you know, kind of changes things, you know, and, you know, how people kind of perceive, you know, their experience, you know, when coming to a restaurant, you know, especially, you know, with all, you know, how things are kind of now with, you know, shortage or whatever, you know, where things may take a little longer to happen you know, being able to provide, you know, that extra level of customer service, I think, you know, does go a pretty long way. And I think that, you know, technological part of it where you're able to kind of use that geofencing or whatever to, you know, identify loads of customers, you know, could play, you know, a big role in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We've also done quite a bit of research on guest expectations when they are in restaurant. And I agree. I think that you know, taking it up a notch where it's, you know, you say something like, you know, welcome, Ben, thank you so much. I remember you got the penny roast the last time, like that is really meaningful. And I think it'll definitely transform to that space as people get more and more data and you're able to integrate those systems into the restaurant systems. What I would say, though, is that guests truly want some of the basic things that have been lost over the past, you know, multi-years, three to four years, which is eye contact, 
when I walk in the door, just say hello, say your name, help me make a decision about your menu. Like it, it seems so basic, but those are the types of things that honestly are uncommonly good. And that's what we've trained our staff to do is to be able to use those little micro moments, micro moments to change the experience for our guests. Um, and they are definitely meaningful, but it's not it's not a massive investment, right? You don't have to do a full integration into the restaurant systems to be able to say, hi, my name is Stacy," And so that's definitely a first step for us. And then we're going to figure out how we can continue to integrate um, some of that loyalty data into the, into the in-restaurant experience. Yeah, that's such, a, that's such a big thing now, especially with the fact that so many restaurants now in the quick serve, fast, casual space, you got to walk in and you know, half the employees are making orders for the digital line and then mm -hmm. the other half might be paying attention to you. <laughs> yeah. So just even to, you know, go in there and say for someone to say, hey, I'll be right with you is a really big difference than you standing there awkwardly waiting them for watching them make an order for someone you don't see. Right. It's a small tick, but I've seen it a lot lately and it can definitely be off-putting if it's not done a little bit better. Um, yeah. Just yeah. a random old man rant of mine, yeah. but the no, it's just like being just I've seen I mean, it lately. Sure, kind of just like kind of you know, like a neighborhood like kind of atmosphere where like they just like they know you or like that personalization. You know, it makes you feel good. I don't. Know. It kind of reminds me. You know, I don't. Danny, you're from New York. I don't know if you had like a bodega that you went Am to I? a lot. <laughs> well, so well first, first of all, we uh, in, my, in the neighborhood that I grew up, we did not call them bodegas. Oh, um, what'd you call them? We just call them corner stores. You're we, ruining my vision of what New York is. <laughs> but uh, but I, I mean, there were neighborhoods that did that, that did call them. But you're right. I mean, we okay. had a couple. For me, it was two different places. Both of them are actually still there 18 yeah. years later. Yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, that, that that's true. Although I will say there were days that I walk in and he'd be like, oh, Danny, you want you know, a bagel with bacon again, I'd be like, God, you should leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> to remind me, you know, but, but that was less, I, I will say that you get weighted out by the opposite of that. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather probably them do that than not do it on the random off day that I don't feel like talking to anybody. Right. Right. But I do love that about the restaurant world now. It is that if I do want to have that experience, I totally can go through with the entire process without looking, speaking, or interacting with another human yeah. being. That's true too. That's also a good thing too. Yeah, being able to do that. I like. I also like that because I like being able to just go to, straight to the shelf, pick up my order, and leave. But so you know, it's it's it's. I guess the point would be that you know it's good to have options. Like if you want to engage, you know, there's that option. But if you don't want to engage, you know, restaurants can also get that option i guess that's kind of the name of the game is like you know catering to whatever the customer you know how however they want to use you at that time yeah it is interesting though even when we did the research around the way that our guests want to engage with us that off-prem user that came comes in to pick up their bag still wants to be acknowledged at least just a high Right. Yeah. So I think you're right, Ben. I think the choice matters, but there's still humanity, right? And connection that people crave. And so that's the other thing is that we're still trying to reinforce is that just saying when they walk out the door, thank you. Thanks for, you know, thanks. Have a great day. Um, because there is, it's pretty consistent still that people want, want that human connection. Um, and so it, it's been critical for us to kind of bring some of that back in when it was forced to be, you know, forced leaving <laughs> or however you want to say that, we had to depart from it for our two years. So, you know, we're definitely focused on bringing that back. 
restaurant. Yeah, I think if I was a restaurant, I would much rather say to my employees, say thank you to everyone walking out the door on the you know, one in 10 chance you might get someone who doesn't want to say anything, they'll just wave at you. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so, but I'd rather take that approach than, you know, don't speak to anyone coming in who's picking up off the shelf, you know, and, and go from there because right. that just, you know, you're, I think you're running into a weird vortex there, mm-hmm. but, yeah. you know, Stacy, I guess kind of um, going forward for the brand, you know, it's been a lot of exciting news, I think, over the course of, you know, last couple of years is that rebound turned into recovery and then toward, you know, sales that were above even pre-COVID levels, which has been a common, you know, quick serve thing, you know, pick up windows, a big part of what Noodles is doing, franchising, as we talked to John a few podcasts ago, but I guess just, you know, a little bit of a look forward, don't have to reveal anything, but I mean, what are some things maybe on the horizon for noodles that we can expect, you know, to see here in the future? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there's still so much opportunity for uncommon goodness to play a bigger role within people's lives. Um, And I think that that will continue to be very much a focus for us is to still reinforce that positioning you living it, breathing it in the restaurant. So the guest feels it, whether they're coming in to pick up an order or whether they're, they're going to be sitting in the restaurant and enjoying our food. So that will continue from a marketing perspective, will continue to be a focus for us is, is the brand building awareness around the brand and uncommon goodness. Um, you know, for me, I find data to be a sexy part of the brand, but continuing to invest in the rewards program, transforming the rewards program so that we drive more signups, that we're able to use that data in a more meaningful way and just make it easier and more personalized for our guests. And so data will continue to be a critical component of transforming this brand. Digital, we're going to continue to invest in digital. And, you know, whether you're changing where people are ordering or how people are ordering or honestly just continuing to make it easier through the app and through the web to order our food, and also in restaurant, like how do we want to think about the in-restaurant experience differently? We're starting to install digital menu boards across our footprint, which is awesome. It gives us much more flexibility to test things, but it also is just a better guest experience. So digital menu boards will be a big investment for us. And then we're growing, right? Our restaurant, we're growing our footprint. Um, we intend to grow both on the company side. We intend to grow on the franchise side. So that'll be a a huge focus for us. We've done a lot of innovation on the food side. Um, And so we think that we have a great menu to work with. So how can we bring that menu to life in an easier way to consume um, our amazing food? Because we do have a pretty overwhelming menu. So we also want to be mindful of how do we make it easier for people to find that dish that they want, as well as make it just how they want it. So those are some of the things that we're going to be highly focused on um, is really around the brand and growth. You know, one, one of the funny things about Zoodles, um, I remember when that first came out and, you know, David mentioned something like, you know, one of the reasons we think this is going to be successful is because people don't like making these at home. It's a pain, you know, it's like frying chicken or something like that. Like everyone likes to eat these, but actually making them is a whole different story. And it's been like four years and it still sucks to make Zoodles, mm-hmm. you know, so you may, that was ended up being a good bet because no one has actually figured out. Yeah, from these like spiralizers, you had to buy, you know, four cucumbers to make one bowl of food and all this crazy stuff. 
that ended up being something that I think will never stop. <laughs> no, and I, I think our operators would agree with people that they suck to make. <laughs> but our operators yeah. are so fantastic at making this noodle. I don't know if either of you have tried the zoodle, but man, they make it so perfectly. And it is so tasty, just like I said with linguine with any of our sauces. And so that will continue to be a differentiator for us is, is having those special noodles and that they're so well made. Um, on the menu just to cater to a different lifestyle. Right. I mean, this kind of thing is like, I don't find it that hard to make a zoodle, but every time I do it, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. That and they make it perfectly. Thing. Our operators make those noodles perfectly. Yeah. Because when you make them at home, it's just like you have a, a bowl that's half water and then half vegetable. And then right. you're trying to put toppings on it and it makes no sense. And you're like, okay, I'm never doing this again. Right. You take, you take one, but you're like, okay, it wasn't as bad as I expected it to be, which usually is a recipe for I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> that's how I feel about some plant-based meat. No offense to that category. Well, I'm, I'm still waiting for it to come out in a way that I want to eat it twice, but that's, an, that's another. Uh, well, Danny, we're coming out with um, a plant-based impossible chicken nugget on our, we're putting it, we're launching it in, gosh, probably a month. Yeah, in about a month. It is delicious. So I highly recommend that you try it. We've partnered with Impossible to launch this um, chicken on top. It's a um, a breaded chicken. It's very, very good. And we're putting it on our penne rosa. Or actually, we're going to put it on the linguine rosa just because we think between the noodle and the, the plant-based chicken, it's delicious. So you'll have to try it. It's quite good. Well, one, I, I, like, I really like cauliflower substitute things. Mm -hmm. Those make sense to me. So I know that you all do that too, of course. Yep, <laughs> correct. You know, I always lean more toward that type of product than I do the quote-unquote fake meat, fake meat. But that's just me. That's just well, me you'll personally. have to try it and give me your feedback. I would love to hear it. <laughs> Will do. Okay, well, cool, Stacey. We really appreciate you joining us. But before I let you go, um, maybe you want to just kind of tell people where to find you, where they can learn more about noodles. I always ask this question, and usually people always say go to our website, which makes sense. Um, or yeah, maybe I need to reframe this question in the future. I don't know. Maybe Ben could come up with something more. <laughs> but either way, if you want to just uh, kind of sign off and you know tell people maybe where they can connect if they want to learn more. Yeah. Well, I uh, let me. I'll start by saying follow us on any of the social networks. So that's good. TikTok, especially, just because it feels like we're gaining some momentum there. You can definitely follow us on TikTok, learn about our food, look up, learn about the experience. And then of course, noodles.com, you can download the noodles app. Um, but yeah, I, I think the social platforms more than anything is just because you get to kind of feel and experience the brand more than you would in some of the other places. You think, uh, do you think TikTok is here to stay as a marketer? seems like it, right? I, I feel like it, but you know, I would have said that about Facebook five years ago too. So I think that what yeah. is here to stay is being able to tell your stories in bite-sized pieces. Like I think that that's, people just want to consume fast and they want you to get your message across fast. And so whether it's the platform or not, I think the content strategy is here to stay for sure. Yeah. yeah Facebook used to be like our most important marketing, sharing, social thing. And now it is essentially worthless. Yeah. I don't know how that happened, but it did within a course of three years. It just yeah, it, it, it is crazy. But yeah, I think that I think that the video content or whether you're doing augmented reality, like I think that that is all, I'm still curious about that side of it because people are consuming content so frequently, you know, that way. So yeah. Yeah. 
And of course, the written magazine word. Um, Very important. <laughs> of word. course, of course. Yeah, you got to subscribe to QSR. It's free and all those. I agree um, with that. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, thank you, Stacy. We really appreciate it. I look forward to learning more about the brand as the year goes on. As always, um, we'll definitely be in touch. And for everybody listening, thank you as always. And we'll see you